Hey everyone. Today we wrap up our series of discipling, and we'll talk about chapters 10 and the conclusion. At first glance, it may be tempting to write off these chapters as they focus on church structures and rather specific application for elders. Yet, as men and women who are leading in our communities, having been assessed of godly character and equipped for the work of ministry, you are an essential part of how new leaders are identified, discipled, and equipped for the work of ministry. There's a D.A. Carson quote on page 95, which says, An elder does what an ordinary Christian should do extraordinarily well. He is a model of the whole flock. He is a picture of maturity for all of them. And you might guess what I'm going to say next, but this applies to us as community leads, women's discipleship leads, and apprentices, because we are leading and caring for part of God's flock in our communities. This is why we so regularly talk about modeling in all aspects, especially in our own walk with the Lord. So I would hold that these last few chapters apply to you as well as our church staff and our elders. Jumping in then, I want to focus on the second of his nine encouragements here in chapter 10, that of adopting a posture of looking for new leaders. He says this on page 96, that if we want to be raising up leaders, we need to be on permanent lookout for others. Pastors should be profoundly opportunistic about raising up more pastors, and the whole church should have a deep confidence that the Lord wants new leaders raised up. Part of the expectations for us is to be raising up new leaders, certainly including times when we'll know we'll need to step back, but certainly not limited to that. It is my expectation of you all as leaders that you're actively working to identify new leaders. And along with that, it is my expectation that every one of our communities would have a full team, a community lead, a women's discipleship lead, and each with their apprentice. This is not simply so that we can grow for the sake of numbers, but so that we can extend the discipleship and maturity of our body. We have to be especially careful that we don't unintentionally plateau or assume that there is someone else who is doing this identification for us. In a church of our size, it's easy to fall into thinking that we have enough people serving and so that there isn't that much need for others. But that's quite false. Let's just talk about our Cornerstone communities as an example. Because our Cornerstone communities are the place where we live life the closest and where we form the essential, meaningful discipling relationships that's important for our growth, it has been our goal that everyone who calls DCC home would be an active part of a community. So let's just run the numbers. We're averaging about 600 adults on Sundays. And if we say that at any given Sunday there's a certain number uh, of those attending that are visitors or folks who couldn't get into community for regular travel or whatever the case may be, let's say we aim for 80% of our attendance on Sunday to be involved in community. That takes our 600 number down to 480. If we say the, the average community size should be 18, then that means we would need 27 communities. But for those of you who are leading a community that's consistently 18 adults, you know that 18 is actually pretty large. So we might say to aim for 15 active members in a community, that means we would need 32 communities. Dare I suggest that we would have an ideal community as small as 12, then the number of our communities would need to be 40. Currently, we have 22. So at a minimum, we would need to launch another five without losing any, just so that there's sufficient space for our current body. And that would mean another 10 or perhaps even 20 if we wanted to aim for a lower ideal size. <clears throat> now, I'm thinking about this, planning, and praying to this end all the time, literally every week. And so I share this with you so that you can see and understand the sense of urgency that I have when it comes to raising up new leaders. 
it can start to feel daunting if I think about raising up 20 more communities, which means 20 more community leads, 20 more women's discipleship leads, 20 more hosts, potentially 40 more apprentices. That's impossible for me to do solo, or even with the other staff if we were dedicated to it. However, if we break that down and consider the 22 of you who are currently leading communities and the dozen women's discipleship leads that are currently serving, then all of a sudden this becomes an extremely achievable goal where each community lead and women's discipleship lead take on one apprentice and we're there. Of course, this won't happen overnight, and I'm not naively saying that that would be the case, but we can achieve this goal with God's grace if we take steps in the same direction. So that leads me to another thought, something that we talked about in our recent sync, and that was how do we go about sharing this need with our communities and or the larger church? Because we ask our leaders to be modeling what we hope to see in others, our primary pool of potential leaders are those who are currently in community. It's really hard to lead a community if you're not able to commit to being one, with very limited exceptions. Overlapping with those who are in community would be those who are members, along a similar rationale. If you haven't taken the steps to commit to this body, it's hard to imagine you leading others in committing to this body. So within community is a great place to be looking for potential leaders and to be discussing the need. Feel free to walk others through the math that I've just walked through as you're talking about the urgency, if anyone's unconvinced as to the need for more community leaders and women's discipleship leads. But we don't simply want to talk about the need. That is relevant for sure, but it shouldn't even be the primary motivator. If the need is the primary motivator, then what tends to happen is that people who have this strong sense of duty will step into these roles and serve under some form of compulsion, either self-imposed or external, which then is unhealthy for them and for those that they lead. So to avoid this, we want to highlight the vision of community and express the value of community to the church and to the leader. My hope is that all of you who lead communities find the effort to be immensely rewarding, even when there are challenges. If I speak of my own experience for a moment, I know that I've grown leaps and bounds while leading our community over the last few years. In my ability to lead a discussion, in tackling hard text and hairy theological questions, in listening to the Holy Spirit's leading, in my empathy and care for others, and the list goes on and on. I've gotten to see God at work firsthand, answering prayers for healing, for redeemed relationships, for friends coming to faith, for loneliness met by the love of God's people, for material comforts to be exchanged for the sake of those in need, for supernatural peace and comfort for anxious souls. Our community is a significant means by which God has worked in my life and in the lives of those who have been involved. And that is why I want to lead a community. And I hope that's why you all lead your communities too. When we start to speak of our hearts in this way, it can bring others into the vision and away from that sense of duty and helps them curate the desire to participate and to lead. Another suggestion that has been made is just super practical, and that's this. Rather than putting the invitation out to your whole community by saying, if anyone's interested, let me know, we should instead be making personal and specific invitations. And when we do so, we get a bonus opportunity to speak an encouragement to that person. It might sound something like this. Hey, John, I've noticed that you're doing a great job welcoming new people into our community. Thank you for that. It's a real evidence of God at work in you. Have you ever considered being a community apprentice? I think you'd do a great job, and I'd love to help you grow into the role. What do you think? 
If you're on the lookout for evidences of grace, as we discussed last quarter, and you're on the lookout for potential leadership capabilities, then you should have something like this to start your conversations with somebody who you think might be a good candidate. With all of that, let's say that you've spoken about the need in community, and you've asked somebody personally, and they've agreed. Now what? Well, thankfully, we have the process in place and the tools to help build out a plan and equipping them to lead. This leads to the second theme that I wanted to address today from these chapters, which is a combination of a few points that are listed here in chapter 10. Advancing trust to a potential leader by delegating responsibility and trusting in God's sovereignty to take risks. Some of what Mark suggests on these ports is geared towards staff elders, so I want to talk about what this might look like for us in community. It might look like inviting someone to run with an event, giving them very few parameters and letting them set the course. It could be as simple as this. Hey, Allison, would you be willing to host the next community social event? It can be pretty much anything that happens during usual gathering time that allows the families to join, and preferably not super expensive. Otherwise, it's your call. For those who are becoming your apprentice, you might have some more structure in how you share preparation for a community discussion, but it doesn't have to be months of preparation. It could follow the five-step basic shadowing process that we discussed in our sync. Basically, you watch me lead, we prep together and I lead, we prep together and you lead, I watch you lead, and then you lead. Remember that we've got formal and informal roles defined in our communities. The formal roles are those of community lead, community lead apprentice, women's discipleship lead, community connector, and host. Ideally, these roles are filled by members, and you're regularly meeting together as a team to pray for and discuss the needs of your community. But there are also many informal roles that can exist in your community. It could be meal planner, prayer lead, child care coordinator, service coordinator, social coordinator, plus any others if you've got particular needs in your community. These don't require folks to be a member, um, but they can jump in whenever they're ready to take a step to serve your community. It's okay if you or they are unsure of their gifting about one of these roles, and, but they won't really be able to learn unless they give it a try. So to wrap up the series, I want to just say thank you for all of the effort that you put into leading and caring for your communities already. I hope this short series was refreshing for you as you think about the ways you're currently serving and how you can specifically be doing spiritual good to others. If you've had any aha moments along the way, please reach out and share them. With that, let's pray. Father, thank you for the ways in which you have gifted and equipped the men and women who are leading in their communities at DCC. Thank you for the promise that you will build your church and you will use our imperfect efforts as a means to do so. I pray that you would give us all a renewed passion for your people, especially those who are in our care in our communities. I pray, too, that you would bring to mind very clearly one or two people in each of our lives that we could be discipling for their good and the good of your church. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.